Welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast, the show where I, Ben Talon, illustrator and writer, invite people from the creative industry and far beyond to share their story of creativity, both the nature and the nurture, the chaos and the calm. Creativity is a fundamental pillar of human happiness, something I'm increasingly fascinated by. It is so often misunderstood. So little by little, I hope to build an archive of valuable stories, experiences and tips to help you maximise yours. As ever, big thank you to Dirty Freud for the music for the show. Go and check out his latest news and releases at Dirty Freud on social media channels. Hello, welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining once again. How are you doing? I hope you're well. The world continues to be just a little bit crazy, so it's probably better not to look, unless you've got a good reason for doing so. I don't know about you guys, but I'm trying to wind in the social media use. Oh, it's a lot of shouting, a lot of angriness, a lot of arguing. I saw um, a lovely meme this week that literally had an illustration of an old fella on his deathbed saying he wished he'd spent more time arguing online and it it was kind of cool. It really put it in perspective and and made me chuckle. And that's really the sentiment. I, uh, you know, I want to use the tools like the rest of us to shout about work that I'm interested in sharing other people's work, the rest of it, but really um, the days when I used to kind of hover on there and just chat, uh, I don't really do it. I mean, I find it volatile, you know? There's there's too much anger and there's always a depressing headline on the right-hand column about what the Tories are up to or whatever else it might be. So for that reason, it's, it's really kind of becoming a little bit counterproductive to my creativity to, to go on there. So if you've seen a little bit less of me, that's why, but I'm still here. So drop us a message, email, whatever. I'm still in communication. I'm just not doing the the overly public all the time thing because it's just getting a little bit wearing and a little bit jading. And um, I'm not the only person who I've seen posting about this recently. So, you know, get us some thoughts. Maybe there's maybe there's something to talk about there on the show. Maybe there's an angle looking at, you know, what what do we do with social media? Is it Has it reached a saturation point? Are we all getting a little bit fed up with the, the kind of downbeat side of it? Anyway, that's a bit of a ramble. I've got Matt Essam on the show coming up today. I think you're going to love him. Matt is wonderful. He is a, I think creative coach is the term, but essentially he is, let's have a look. Let's go on his website. I'll tell it from his mouth. Um, So Matt's section here, my story. I've been working in the creative industry for over 12 years within big agencies as well as running his own freelance business. I realised that being successful is about more than just adding bigger projects to your portfolio. In 2015, a series of unexpected events changed my perspective on life and I decided that it was time to find some meaning and purpose in my work. With the support from some of the UK's leading entrepreneurs and business mentors, I developed a unique framework that I now use to help establish freelancers and small agencies to grow their businesses through work that is both creatively fulfilling and financially rewarding. The great conundrum. Um, we're going to get deep into that. It's a fascinating one. I think it's going to be so useful for anyone who listens, to be quite honest. I, I was rather blown away and, and I found a lot of synchronicity with what I've learned over the, the last kind of 13 years as a full-time freelancer. And what Matt's talking about, you know, there seems to be some overlapping paths going on there. So that conversation's coming up. Just quickly, I want to say a thank you to the kind supporters of the show, founding sponsor, Illustration X. Go and check them out over at illustrationx.com. We are Illustration on social media. 
brilliant illustration animation agency and every episode they provide us with an industry insight so it's a bit of a broad one really i just kind of wanted to push the the message here that matt is talking about and it is about that you know fulfilling and financially rewarding it's there's the belief and we will talk about this in depth but there's the belief that the two cannot live in the same sphere it's completely not true and I think that so many people overlook the fulfilling aspects of this. I think we, I was certainly guilty of this in early years, and I think we often look at the market and go, what do people want that I can give? And that does kind of underpin a lot of things, and it, there is certainly logic in that, because, you know, we do, we do what we do, where we, I like to think we're good at it, and people need it. But if you're creating that from a place that isn't true to you and your character, then if what you're giving is just what's wanted and not really what makes you tick, not what makes you want to get out of bed in the morning, then there's a certain saturation point there. There's a wall that we hit. And when we hit that wall, we, we second guess, you know, do we even want to be in this industry? Am I even creative? All those big questions kind of descend on us in a, in a swarm like angry birds. And, and it's just, um, it's very easy to buy into that and think that we're not creative or we're not good at what we do or we are in the, on the wrong path. And and actually, it's about going back to basics and looking at you know the reasons we went to art college or the reason we, we found illustration or writing or filmmaking seductive in the first place and why certain films make us tick, uh, certain books get us going, why we see ourselves in certain characters. And I think we divorce ourselves from that as soon as we get into market and think, what do people want? What's the trends? And what should I, what should I be putting out there? There's a you know, big one of those red flag words, should, success. They're, they're dangerous things that you have to make them right for you. Um, so the tip is is to, to, to lead with that, to connect those emotions, to connect those passions in the work we're doing and not look out until we're content with what's going on in. Do you know what I mean? Within, I should say. Um, I remember... Looking, you know, back in the early days, I say early days. It took it was three years in when I got my dream client. By I'm not going to bore you with the whole story. It's out there um, in many forms. But I, I landed World Wrestling Entertainment, my dream client, and it was off the back of a very a passion project. I'd I'd offered long story short, I'd offered an olive uh, not an olive branch. I'd reached out to a friend of mine who was making an independent film. He didn't have any budget, or you know space for an art director it's a very scary a skeleton crew they were making this film because it was a work of passion and i loved that and i said well i'll come and do it because i you know i've never done that before i'd like to know what it's about you can offer me a risk-free opportunity and i can pick up some new skills so you know it's about value rather than budget so i went along did the job the work that i did got seen by a creative director at wwe he commissioned me to create 15 of these banners as set designs for a photo shoot with all the villains on the wrestling dream job bang and then what happened is, you know, you get a little down the road and, and all of a sudden I'm doing more commissions for WWE. I'm sitting there and going, I don't really have much energy here. I don't have much motivation. I'm not feeling this. That's weird. That shouldn't, that's not right. This is, this is my passion. This is what I watch every week on the TV. And yet I wasn't feeling it. And, and I'd fallen into a very common trap of putting the name and the brand ahead of what I needed to be doing to feel fulfilled on that day at that time in my life. Um, so there's there's the the bit of advice I suppose it is it's about always listening to feeling and always listening to where you are and what you need to feel like you're doing work with meaning and purpose that's right for you, not so much who's the next big client, what's the next big job, how can I make more money because they're all big distractions that kind of kill our creativity. 
Um, and, and, you know, going back to what Matt said, it doesn't mean that we can't make good money uh, from our careers. Quite the opposite. I think we should be more proud about being businesses and actually, you know, we should be looking for great reward for these skills that we've invested all this time and energy into. But I think it just has to happen on your own terms. And I think that's a conversation that it can only happen between you and, and you. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, that's the tip. It's to pay more attention to those emotional triggers and those passions when building your work and your portfolio. And, you know, there are infinite examples of people who've done that to get to a place where they are feeling great about what they're doing. So there's no reason you can't too. So that is the tip. And that's courtesy of Illustration X over at We Are, sorry, over at illustrationx.com. Big thank you to my other supporter of the show, the wonderful, the Association of Illustrators. Um, just released the long list for the World Illustration Awards. I was um, pretty chuffed to have, to have made it. I think it's 500 out of the something like 2,500 uh, pieces of or projects, pieces of work that have been submitted into the awards this year. Um, and it was for my most recent book, Your Mum and Other Stories from the Back Streets of Britain. And I was chuffed about that. And um, if you want a few thoughts on awards and the good and the bad side of rewards and why we should treat them with a little bit of flippancy. Um, I actually posted some thoughts over on the Instagram at Ben Talon, all one word. Uh, so if you do want to read up on that, go and have a little look. Long story short on that one, it was basically don't buy into awards. I, I don't place any value on them in respect of your creative talent and your ability because at the end of the day, it's somebody else's opinion on your work and everybody's got one and it doesn't always mean it's right. But, you know, we should always be seeking those that feedback and that constructive criticism. But when it comes down to awards and selections, it can come down to how someone's feeling on a certain day, at a certain time of the year, what's going on in their lives. There are too many factors to really place any kind of value on your creativity. So it's a kind of cautionary tale. You know, I, I see some people kind of... There's always that, It's almost like a default reaction of... And I've done it myself many, many times. You know, as I said in the post, rejection is more common than a payday in this industry. So we have to get used to that pretty quick. Otherwise, it becomes a really tough place to be. And, you know, you, I've... God, I mean, I could count on one hand the actual awards where I've had any kind of listing or gone on to win. They're very, very minimal. But that's fine because that's what it is. But it's lovely when you get recognised. So I was pretty chuffed because your mum was a hugely personal project which I loved working on. So, you know, it's nice when somebody chooses that and it was in the alternative publishing category. Up against some real stiff competition, but like I said in the post, you know, it doesn't matter if I don't make the next hurdle, if I, don't, if I hadn't made this one. It doesn't matter. Tough luck. You know, move on. Feel shit for half an hour. Have a look and a little whinge about who did get chosen and on you go because it really doesn't matter. But the reason I enter this one is because I think the Association of Illustrators do fantastic work supporting an industry that I love, which is the illustration industry and... They do that with great soul and passion and support freelancers and small businesses, just like Matt S and my guest today. And the the fee to enter was very fair and nominal and it supports their work. So I thought, well, that's brilliant. Yeah, you can spend more than that on a you know, night out anywhere in the country. So I thought, why not? Um, we won't get into the kind of really expensive, big awards. I think there's something really, you know, goes against creativity there, but we won't go down that path. Anyway, big thank you, theaoi.com. Go and check out the Association of Illustrators. So looking for your own updates, let us know what you've been doing at Ben Talon Pod or at Ben Talon on social media. Do keep the feedback coming on the show. I'm very keen to think to hear what you think of today's guest, Matt Essam, because he's wonderful and he talks a lot of sense. And Matt's story, uh, his own trajectory is, is brilliant. He went very far down a certain path 
building his business successfully, but for the wrong reasons for him and, and had to do a complete restart to get to where he is today. And uh, as we're going to talk about, it is something now where he feels it's very purposeful work, helping others and, and really kind of making a difference. So it's an encouraging story, but the advice he gives is via, it's really valuable. It's golden. So get us your thoughts over on the social. Uh, not going to keep you much longer. Let us know any news that you guys have got. If you want any work sharing, always happy to retweet cool stuff. Get some exposure out there. Without further ado, let's get into it. My conversation with Matt Essam. Go and check out his work over at mattessam.co.uk. That's E-S-S-A-M. Uh, I think you'll like what you see. Oh, and, and lastly, before I forget, Matt has very kindly offered us free PDF copy of his book, Create and Prosper. So I will share the link on the social media. Check the show notes on SoundCloud on the desktop version. And it'll be there waiting for you, for you lovely listeners. So cheers. Enjoy. Yeah, I think the cool thing is I've done it long enough now. And obviously, as you probably know, writing a book really solidifies all of your ideas and kind of makes them actually get out into the world. And although I get lots of different types of problems they really can all be summarized into like those three categories that I talk about so what's quite nice is I always find myself referring back to that and I haven't really yet found many things that fall outside of that remit because they're quite fundamental principles you know they're not tactics and tools like Instagram and Facebook they're fundamental kind of life and business principles so um, yeah once you've got that down and like unpacked then life becomes a little bit easier mm, yeah well yeah yeah you're absolutely right i think when you, when you do get into the fundamentals of this stuff it it's life lessons isn't it it's you know it's obviously we apply it to the arts and and freelance business but it really it's 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 just good principles for living a happy kind of varied existence that that actually when you apply that to the work life is wonderful yeah absolutely well, we'll get. I mean, let's get let's get into it. Let's. Um, I'm curious about your your background, as in early roots, childhood. What was what was going on? What was the surrounding? What was the family set up? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, so mm. I was always doing things. I was always out and about, building camps or skateboarding or um, mountain biking with friends. So I, I didn't really have probably the traditional upbringing where you know you've got lots of neighbors and you go out and play in the evenings in fact it sounds a little bit sad but but I'm an only child so quite a lot of the time was spent on my own mm. um and yeah I would I would always kind of find ways to create and when I was thinking about this the other day I think I've always been creative maybe not in the traditional sense from an early age, I always kind of enjoyed building things and creating things and making things, whether it was a little film on my dad's camera or whether it was like a camp in the woods or a half pipe for, you know, skateboarding on. I've always kind of had that creative outlet in me. Mm. Um, yeah, and, you know, I, I went to fairly traditional schools, like like my secondary school was a a boarding school i didn't board but it was it was a boarding school so we had like chapel it's a little bit like hogwarts basically <laughs> uh, you know we had prefects and they wore robes and so i think the thing that i really struggled with at school was there was no creative outlet like we had an art class at gcse but mm. you had to be really good at art to even be considered for that like you weren't allowed to just come and you know draw a nice 
paintings like you're doing GCSE art because you wanted to go on and do A-level art or something like that so I never really had that technical capability and so I found myself in this box where I focused on sport mainly really because that was the only other option you were either academic or you were sporty Mm. uh, and I wasn't academic so I had no other no other choice (laughs) um yeah and so like I went to one of those schools that was very much like math science Mm. uh religious studies and and playing kind of cricket on the weekends Mm. Was that frustrating in terms of? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I there's parallels there. You know, I grew up in West Yorkshire, and where we lived is near Powerth, and you know, there's a lot of kind of woodland and streams, and it was just a lot. And and right next to an old Victorian, not well, an old woolen mill actually, which was on its last legs. So we just had the run of the whole place. So we had this kind of secret seven nook of the world going on, and it was just that it was all day, every day, throughout all the holidays, as you say, making, coming up with stories, all that stuff. So. I, like you, felt frustrated in the school system. So I guess that would be the same for you. Absolutely. I mean, I was always getting trouble in school. I think my parents got pretty sick of it. You know, nothing major, but always the class clown, always getting told off for, you know, my reports always said he has so much potential. The, you know, like that was literally the theme. And um, I know it well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and what's interesting is I used to love to talk and I used to love to joke around and that just wasn't a thing at school. It was like head down, do your work. The ironic mm. thing is I now get paid to talk to people for a living. Yeah. Well, isn't, isn't this the thing? It's like, this is such a common thread and actually this ends quite ugly when, when those frustrations do manifest in mischief, mischief can mutate when it's not, when it's not harnessed because mischief is really valuable. If you, you know, if I, I'd love to work with kids with full of mischief and kind of go, how about if we apply that that sense of humor and that, and that, you know, the conniving side that you've got, which is actually really smart to something that lights you up inside, then we're onto something. But sadly, that doesn't happen, does it, very often? Absolutely. I mean, I hear it's getting better. I've got some friends that are teachers, especially some early years teachers. I hear it's getting better, but definitely not when I was at school. Yeah, it was, mm. I, I was in the headmaster's office more times than I'd like to admit. <laughs> so where, what was it? Was there a sort of turning point for that was there a when did you reach a point where you were actually you know able to in some way use that creative side as a kid the making and the doing I got a taste of it at a level um we got we were the first year to be allowed to do media studies Mm. which was a you know just a subject that the school had never done before and I just threw myself into it absolutely loved it I was already into kind of photography and film a little bit at the time in my spare time you know we used to film friends doing tricks on skateboards or jumping into hedges or basically whatever was going on and that was when I first got the real chance to have that outlet in a way that was academic and that was the only A that I got at A level um, was media studies and then I knew like oh maybe I'm not stupid maybe I'm just not focusing my energy on the right things. Mm -hmm. That's it in a nutshell isn't it that's what it comes down to it is it's about you know, it's about finding a way to round up those natural tendencies and the the characters, you know, the starter pack. I always think of it as a starter pack of, of a character that we have. You know, it's the nature and nurture thing, isn't it? We each come, you know, we come in with those certain core traits that, that we fall back on. And if um, we don't find the space to nurture them positively, then um, it can become a point of frustration and everything else. So it's, um, I love stories when people do find that, that, you know the start of the thread so to speak in your case the media studies i think it's wonderful 
Yeah, and it's so interesting, isn't it? Because if you think about there's this mold that an institution has that tries to kind of put people in boxes a little bit. And it's almost like if you are not in one of these boxes, then you're a bit of a failure mm. rather than kind of saying, what's your box? Mm -hmm. And that's so interesting because when you now look at it in hindsight, you think, well, that's just ridiculous. That's just somebody else's standards and values of what life should be. And that's just cutting out so many people who are potentially able to have a positive impact in the world and do great things, but you're actually limiting them a huge amount because they don't fit into one of your boxes. Mm. Oh yeah, completely destructive. Um, I think, uh, I like to think that today with the kind of tools we have now and the resources and you know the YouTube and the TED Talks and everything else that actually hopefully there's a little more, you know, there's a little more in the ether that that might say to someone that they're not that, that they're not stupid. But I, I also worry that it takes a lot of time and life experience to reach a point where you can make sense of that stuff and relate to your world. And as we know, being a teenager in these formative years is incredibly tough to understand yourself, let alone anything else out there in the world. Yeah, we probably shouldn't get down this road. But the thing that came to my mind as you were saying that was there's also the kind of social boxes. And I think it's a double-edged sword in the fact that you're dead right we've got way more access to information and when i was at school i'd never even heard of meditation but hopefully now people at school for example know at least that exists and they have access to an app that they could experience it with the double-edged sword is that you then have the kind of instagram world and i see some of my younger cousins growing up with this world where they f feel like they have to conform to mm. certain boxes which maybe even have even more pressure because it's not just pressure from teachers and people that you don't even really like so you're kind of not that bothered that you get in trouble it's kind of cool mm. then it's like well actually these are my peers or people that i look up to and i don't fit into one of those boxes and so that can be an enormous amount of of pressure and i actually watch i don't know if you've seen that netflix documentary the social dilemma a few people have brought this up recently so it sounds like i need to watch it yeah it's really interesting but it kind of talks about how you know, social media is designed to, to elicit certain emotional responses and things. So that's a kind of dangerous world. But I think the, the point that you made is, is very valid. And I would like to think that with this long tail of information, everybody can find their tribe somewhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, at least we, we know it's out there now. Um, let's let's talk about your your trajectory then. I mean, I, I, if you wouldn't mind, in a nutshell, giving us this, your, your story, you know, your kind of turning point and Ed, that brings you to where you are now, but also a little bit about you know where you had to go to 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 start that particular ride. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I suppose I had my first experience working in the creative industries back in two thousand and eight, and I just left school and I decided to take a year out between school and university, and I went to visit some family in New Zealand. And my older cousin out there was actually running an independent film company, making commercials for some, some pretty big companies. And my uncle basically said, look, you've got to give him a job. And so I basically got the job as a runner. Um, and, you know, one, the cool thing was, because it was a small company, one day I'd be washing dishes. And then the next day they'd grab me and be like, right, we need some help on this commercial. Grab a camera and get stuck in. Mm. Um, so it was it was really intense it was really kind of thrown in at the deep end and I remember that experience being very visceral and having this feeling of excitement and freedom and wow there's so much possibility um, but then when I came back to the UK I also remember thinking right that kind of classic conditioning kicked back in and I started thinking well that was my gap year that was 
the fun part mm. uh, and now I've got to get a real job and like get a good degree and take things seriously and so when I went to university uh, in Leeds I actually the first course I did was called computing for business and it was one of those courses that I thought sounded perfect I was like if you can't get a job with computing for business <laughs> then like I'm screwed I'm just never going to have a job and so I kind of I kind of chose that degree on the, the description but when I actually got there I realized that I was way out of my depth it was very very technical there was no creativity and I just hated it mm. um, and I wanted to change and they wouldn't let me they kind of said look you know you only just got in with these grades you have to see this year through and if you manage to make it through then we can talk about changes and so I grafted this year and hated every minute of it mm. um, and then when I got to the end luckily I just about got enough points to kind of change degrees and I changed to something called digital media and it was it was amazing like I remember sitting in the first lecture learning about design and Helvetica and thinking someone's going to come into the lecture theater any minute now and say is there a Matt Essam here? Yeah, sorry, we've we've <laughs> we've decided you can't mess around on this degree anymore. You have to go back to doing something you hate. Um, but yeah, they didn't, and I managed to kind of come out of that degree with a, a two-one. And straight after that, I actually landed a job for a big advertising agency in London, mm. um, and I was really excited. Like it was the same feeling as when I'd started working for my cousin's film company in New Zealand. This real like sense of possibility and I remember coming into this office we were um, based just behind the Tate in London so it's a really cool area of London and they had these big photos of all of these crazy campaigns they worked on you know think of any big brand they've worked with them we had Adidas Unilever they had designed the uh, Olympic logos and it was just incredible I remember this feeling like oh my god I'm gonna be sat in a room a little bit like Mad Men drinking some whiskey um, we're going to be best mates with David Beckham. We're going to be hanging out. This is going to be incredible. They had everything, you know, like the fake grass, the table tennis tables. They had a thing called the rum shack where you could get a, a rum and a Coke for a pound on a Friday night. It yeah. was literally like the student's dream. Um, but very quickly it dawned on me that I was actually just this small cog in a very big wheel. And most of my time was spent uh, fixing email templates in versions of you know microsoft outlook that no one used anymore mm. and i kind of looked around and i thought i don't you know if i look if i progress three five years down the line i'm really just going to be probably managing people like me and this isn't really what i want to do you know i kind of had that that sense that basically the same feeling as when i did my computing degree like this is not fun this is not what i thought it was going to be mm. um and so I kind of decided, right, I'm, I'm going to hand in my notice. And I was a little bit apprehensive. I was like, I could just get another job, but I'd always wanted to start up my own business. But I was a little bit apprehensive because people had told me that, really, if you're going to start your own business, you need lots of experience. You need to have worked in lots of agencies. You need to know what you're doing. And so I had this belief in my head. But I remember one day I was sat at this computer and I got this email through from my project manager that said proposal um, and I thought it was a weird title because usually we just get sent brief and it said proposal I was like mm, is this meant for me she sent this by accident kind of looked around made sure no one was watching my computer screen opened it up and sure enough it was the full client proposal and I remember looking at this proposal and it was like 
probably about one day's worth of my uh, time and they were charging like my full year salary. Wow. <laughs> and I thought, okay, maybe there is money out here to be made and mm -hmm. maybe I can do this. And so I handed in my notice and kind of that's where my my freelance journey started really. Um, and it was probably the classic thing that you know you you hear all the time and that we all do when we first start out, which is like, anyone that needs anything related to a skill that I can do, I will do it. So it was websites for, you know, your brother's friends, nan's sisters, missing cat photo, like posters, like you name it, we can do it. Yeah. Um, and it was great, you know, like it was fun because you had creative control and you were earning your own money and there was kind of no limit to it. Mm. But at the same time, and I, and I know you talk about this a little bit in your book, like, I kind of found that work either fell into one of two categories. It was either like really creatively fulfilling, but didn't really have much of a budget. Or it was like really well paid, but pretty boring. Like we need this and it needs X, Y, and Z. And so I actually read a book called The 4-Hour Workweek. I don't know if you've ever heard of it by- I have, yeah. Yeah, by Tim Ferriss. Um, and he talked about in it, this kind of digital nomad lifestyle and outsourcing everything and living this, he calls it like the new rich. And so I got this concept in my head. I was like, well, what about if I just did the work that paid really well and it was boring, but I gave it to other people to do and I just traveled the world with my laptop. <laughs> so I was pretty like set on this idea. And obviously I knew I had family in New Zealand. So I thought, well, if things really don't work out, I can get out there and sleep on my cousin's couch. Um, and so I started living this kind of digital nomad lifestyle. And this was probably back before it was really a thing maybe in like 2014, 2015. And it was great. Like I was doing this work. I had a little kind of team of freelancers that I was outsourcing things to and I was being the client liaison. Um, and I was posting all these photos on Instagram and basically making it look like I was living the dream. I was probably wasn't too far from one of those people you see on like the YouTube adverts, you know, like, do you want to live on a yacht out here? All you have to do is sign up for my course and I'll teach you how to do it. Like, <laughs> yeah. like probably wasn't too far from that when I think back. And I specifically remember this one moment I was in Canada and I was snowboarding. It was kind of towards the end of my trip. I'd been, I'd been doing it for about six or eight months and I was about to take this photo. I'm like sat on this mountain overlooking the Canadian Rockies beautiful it's a tuesday afternoon thinking you know this is i'm living the dream here and i take this photo and i don't know if you ever had this but i'm i'm kind of take as i'm taking this photo i get this feeling that like the reality of the situation and what i'm portraying to the world is a very different thing and like i almost had this moment of reality where i realized that actually i'm not that happy Mm. with the work that I'm doing actually like I'm just doing all of this work to kind of fund my travel and none of it really has any meaning and most of my clients treat me like crap and I'm just this kind of creative tool that's able to do these things and it all just felt a little bit empty um and it was actually a timely um or well, very untimely um death in my family that kind of made me come back to the UK and and do a little bit of soul searching and think, you know, like, what is, what is this all about? Like, what am I missing here? Why am I doing this? I, I kind of felt like instead of having a business, I just had, I was just an employee with like 20 bosses. Mm. Um, and so I started 
like most people do when they're having a bit of an existential crisis, kind of watching TED Talks, reading lots of books, trying to find a bit of meaning and like sense of purpose in what I was doing. And I, I came across this book called Entrepreneur Revolution by Daniel Priestley. And I, I just couldn't put this book down because it, it just really hammered home to me that there was one thing mastering the art of creativity and getting good at a skill. And there was a totally different thing mastering the business of creativity. And I realized that I just hadn't done that. Like I, I was just, I was kind of, he talks about the worker bee and the employee, um, you know, versus the kind of entrepreneur. And I was like, well, I'm still the worker bee. I'm still this worker bee, just like trading time for money, having 20 different clients. And, and it just wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I realized that if I actually figured out this business side of things, I was going to be able to have a more impact, more meaning in my work. Um, but B, actually kind of attract clients that I really wanted to work with. Mm. And so I just invested like the next few years, like a lot of probably way too much money, although it's obviously paid back in dividends. Um, but a lot of money that, you know, I just put on credit cards and things and, and loads of time to just go and learn. And I actually ended up working with Daniel and his team. And it was, it was a real pivotal moment for me, just learning the kind of fundamentals of business. And as I was learning that, I started to apply them in my business and I started to see this shift happen. And really, when I look back, I fired about 80% of my clients probably in two or three months. And I just focused on that 20% that I really enjoyed working with, that I thought I could really help. And it became clear to me that the people I really enjoyed working with were, were creatives, like other creative business owners, small agencies, people that were doing cool, fun, creative stuff that was why I started doing all this stuff in the first place. Mm. And what became interesting was like, the more I learned about business, the more I realized that a lot of the stuff I was helping them with, which was kind of related to marketing, like, you know, websites and social media and kind of digital marketing in general, the more I realized that there were like fundamental things wrong with their business as well. And they were kind of doing what I was doing. And so I just started off adding value by giving them advice for free you know so i'd help them with their website and marketing but i'd say would you like to sit down i've been working with this mentor i've been doing these things in my business would you like to sit down for free for a couple of hours and just go through and see how this relates to you and i just started doing one or two things differently and all of a sudden these businesses would were having like exponential results and returns in comparison to the stuff that i was actually getting paid for mm. and gradually i was like wow all of this marketing stuff that they're kind of doing doesn't really work without all of this fundamental business stuff. Um, and it was that thing where, and I'm sure you've probably experienced this because you talk a lot about like natural transitions, um, where I just ended up getting asked more for business advice than I did about marketing and websites. And I think like the more people started to see the impact it was having, the more that grew. And, and it's just evolved today where the reason I do what I do today in terms of helping creative business owners and freelancers to really master those fundamentals of business is because that is ultimately what has the biggest impact. That's the thing that really allows you to have the clients that you love working with, that pay you well, um, do work that has like meaning and purpose and impact that's actually personal to you um, and isn't just kind of churning out these logos because you've got bills to pay. Mm. 
So you yeah. did say in a concise way. I don't know how concise that was. <laughs> no, it's good, and it's, I think it's I think it's important to get the depth, of the you know, the the story and the and the, and the path that you've been on for, to understand where you are now. You know, like anything else, but it's um, I think it's brilliant because you know there was a time where you know if someone would have said you know the the, the, the kind of role you do, I, I might have had that classic artist response of being a little bit you know reticent to kind of kind of go oh what well, you know it's no because you do you go oh, i'm an artist you know it's good it's got to be free form and, and do that but it doesn't you can spend your entire career bouncing as ex exactly what you said there between 20 clients who are just getting you to churn that thing out because you've got the mechanical skills to do it and it isn't why we go to art college or it isn't why we like that certain film that we love or re, you know love that author it's it, it's that all comes from us, doesn't it? It comes from the self and the personality and the things that fire you up and get you passionate and things you care about in the world. And if you don't understand that stuff and are not at peace with who you are to begin with, the rest of it falls down. And um, so I thought a good sort of starting point might be the, 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 I say it quite a lot, the illusion of success. Uh, and I guess that then the danger of security as well. These are two things that were quite prevalent in your book, um, which is Create and Prosper, which is fantastic, by the way. I'm about uh, about a third into it now, and it's really, really good. Awesome. Thank you. I was uh, I literally just got, we've had a massive problem with the print stuff, but I was really hoping to send you one of these before the podcast, the, the paperback version, but I'll make oh, sure lovely. I get one out to you afterwards. Oh, lovely. Um, so yeah, like, like, let's talk about you know what because success is is um, is it, you hit upon it I think when you talk about the Instagram stuff and what you know kids might be in danger of now and it's that kind of highlight reel of what's going on and there's always I've always found that in the creative industries there's always been that kind of I'm going to graduate and I'm going to get a job at a big agency and I'm going to work for big clients and 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 none of that's wrong none of it's right it's it has to come it it's down to the person and what they want and what makes them happy isn't it but the i always think that's why i refer to that as the illusion of success success being what mum's telling her friends about in morrison's um that their son or daughter has achieved which is magic um but if it's not making you happy within then it's not success is it it's quite the opposite yeah and it never really ends so i think the the problem with that success trap is that it's never quite enough. You ride that wave for a little bit and you're like, oh, I won this client, it's amazing. You celebrate and then you're like, oh, but we haven't got these clients or, oh, but we just want to do this thing. And it and it's like never enough. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like a really fundamental shift happened for me. I, I was lucky enough to be um, introduced to the world of kind of um, psychology and neuro-linguistic programming. And one of the things that they talk about a lot there are like, our emotional states and our values. So like how we get those emotional states. And so this big shift happened for me when I started this business, which was I had all of this kind of criteria in my head about what success was, you know, having this business that I could travel from anywhere in the world and working with these kind of clients and da 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 da, da and the list went on. And it was really almost as if like, I'd only be happy when, and there was a big kind of difference between the ideas in my head and the reality and because i had so much criteria for success like so many things that had to happen before i gave myself permission to say okay i'm successful now or i feel successful it never really fully came about and so what i did was actually switch that and thought about well what are the emotions that i want to feel on a daily basis like why am i really doing this and when i dug down to it it were things like freedom and respect and significance and contribution 
And so when I honed in on those things, I just changed the question slightly. I, I said, like, if I had to feel those things on a daily basis, what are some of the activities that I would be doing? What are some of the things that allow me to feel a sense of contribution? What are some of the things that allow me to feel a sense of freedom? And it's interesting because it's, it's subtle and it's nuanced, but when you flip it on its head, it's almost like a restaurant menu. You come up with lots of things that you can do to give you that feeling mm -hmm. rather than saying, I'll only get that feeling when I've done all of these things. Yeah. And like, that was such a fundamental shift for me. It's interesting, isn't it? I had a similar shift, which which was came from a, a very good thing because I was already on a good path. I'd, I'd written a book and got a few clients that I loved, and then I got my, my you know my my dream client, World Wrestling Entertainment, like big wrestling nerd. And um, and when I got that, somebody jokingly said to me, "Shit, like you know what now? That's that's three years in. You've got you've won. You know, <laughs> is, it, is it retirement time?" And it, and it was, of course, it was just a, a joke, but actually there was some truth in it. And it was what you've just described there, which was, um, who's next? What's next? And and actually it, it was a moment where it was like, mm, no, this needs to be about, and I was doing it to a degree because I've always been quite precious about, about, you know, building my portfolio where I want to go rather than what I've done. And um, so I was on a good path with it, but it, it just kind of removed the, the, kind of goal-driven thing like you said that these parameters for success or these uh, checkpoints it took them out of the equation and it went well actually no what did i love about that job and, and all the, the jobs that i'd loved doing same process same epiphany really and and it, and it was brilliant because then it became about the week-to-week day-to-day buzz of creating and what do I, you know what about the variation and now now that's why i do a podcast that's why i write it's why i sometimes i'm a little guilty of flitting but for the most part it's a nice ecosystem that gives me variation changes things up and no two days are the same so um that my that was my shift it was moving away from clients i wanted to work with and actually you know which clients and which projects could fulfill the emotional rush that i need that i've always needed from from creativity and the arts mm, absolutely yeah i love that yeah so and then security this, this is a big this, this was a big thing that jumped out of the early part of your book um and why it's illusion is that the right do you think that's yeah you, so that's the kind of chapter of of the uh book called security is an illusion and it's a very difficult concept for people to get because our primal instinctual brain is such a strong driving force and it's very good at convincing us that we're actually in real physical danger but when you become become objective about it it takes a lot of the power away. And the, the reason that I've become really good at this is because actually in my, in my early 20s when I was at university, I went through a phase where I started having panic attacks. I didn't know what a panic attack was. All I knew was it felt like I was going to die. Uh, my heart was racing, my hands were sweating, and it must, meant, must have meant that something was physically wrong with me. Now, unfortunately, to add fuel to the fire, when I was 18, I did get diagnosed with a heart condition, which got uh, cured. But the problem with that was when I went to the doctor and hospital, that was the first thing that they thought of. They were like, oh, you've had this previous heart condition. So it took a long, long time of tests and all kinds of investigations before anyone said, no, this is all clear. What we think is happening is you're having a panic attack. And so I had to go through at least a year or more of like cognitive behavioral therapy and things like that to really understand what was happening. I couldn't believe that my mind 
was creating these physical symptoms. I just thought that that can't be possible. Um, and so I've kind of learned to distinguish between like, is this my reptile brain that's saying I'm in danger or is this my real objective thinking brain? And so the way this relates to security is that ultimately we all have security. We're all lucky enough to live in a first world country where we have a government that pays benefits. And, you know, I know that there are some, I'm not trying to say there are not people that are living in less than ideal conditions, but it's not survival. You know, it's not like we don't have to walk 50 meters. We can turn our tap on and get fresh water from the tap. Mm. You know, there are food banks, like we're, we're not actually gonna die. Um, and so what tends to happen is people catastrophize things and they buy into the idea that certain things give them more security than others. So for example, like getting a job or buying a house or, or all of these kind of things that we're told to do are less risky than being freelance or starting your own business. Now, you could probably argue that statistically, starting a business uh, has like a higher failure rate than getting a job, but you just never know what's gonna happen. I mean, look at what we're in at the moment, like the global pandemic, where thousands of people have just lost their jobs literally overnight. Big, big businesses have gone bust. Like, it can happen. And I think the danger is when we choose options based on security rather than based on opportunity or i often talk about it with my clients there's a difference between an abundance mindset or a scarcity mindset and the scarcity mindset is driven by fear all that time it has this belief that there's not enough resources there's not enough to go around and so we make choices based on that and in my experience all that does is it doesn't actually create more security all that does is it creates a lower quality of life Whereas when you operate from a place of the opportunity is there somewhere, it's my job to go and find it. And I'm going to learn skills and I'm going to give myself credit for being a resourceful enough person to go and find those things that I need and have that belief and have that faith and move forward with that. Life just becomes so much better. Mm. And so like the point in that I'm trying to make in the book is that you've got to be aware of that kind of reptile side of your brain that's going, oh shit, I'm not going to have a house. I'm going to be out on the streets next week mm. and just say, okay, like, is that true? Yeah. Like, is that really true? If I was going to write this down and go like worst case scenario here, like, is that really true? And people say, well, no, it's not really true, but you know, and they've got all these kind of stories and narratives in their head that they probably haven't even made up. They've probably been passed by their parents or society or school. And they're mm -hmm. hanging on to this story about how we've got to work really hard and money's tight and it's difficult to earn money and da, da, da. And because we believe that, we manifest it. Yeah. Well, you, well, yeah, you do. And, and it becomes, yeah, it is quite addictive, isn't it? And and I guess it's the thing. It's, um, it's the being, you know, Oh, you're keeping busy. Are you busy? It's, you know, I, I, I just asked you it at this top of the show kind of thing, but I, it wasn't in a case, you know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't a question of, uh, you know, have you got lots of clients on? Have you got plenty of work on? It's not, that's kind of like my granddad's and to a degree, my old man's mindset, you know, there is, oh, you know, you've got, I've got some new stuff coming this week. And there's always that just a tangible little bit of fear. And I'm like, I'm, well, I'm fine. I've been doing this 12 years as a real yeah. life flow now. And, and I continue to invest time, energy and money into the things that I know are going to take me forward on the, on the right basis, you know, yeah. uh, so I'm fine, but you can't, you can't get that across to a mindset that's kind of been 
there so long it takes time to break that down um but it is it's a very damaging cycle you know i i hate being busy all week i hate looking at my planner and going i've got work on all day every day that feels terrible to me because there's no time to make that spontaneous decision to write a new story or to approach a client whatever it might be i have to leave that time you know to spend time with myself is this is that something you encourage um when you're working with your own clients Absolutely. So one of the things I ask people when they first start working with me is like, what's your current capacity to leave your clients delighted? Like how many projects or clients can you work with at one time and really leave your clients delighted and happy with what you do? And I'll get a variety of numbers. Some people say three, some people say six, seven, whatever, depending on what, what creative field they're in. I say, cool. Now all we have to do is minus one from that number. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? I said, well, you are a client. Like you and your business is as important, if not more important than your clients. So you need to put time aside. And I'm glad you said approaching a client because that's what most people don't do. One of the reasons that are things that fuels this scarcity mindset is that we're not in control of our own workflow. Like we've just got to see, wait around and hopefully someone will pick up the phone and call me and hopefully I'll get a referral from that client. But when you realize that if you learn a, a really fundamental set of skills, you have the resources to go out there and create new work and help people and solve problems whenever you want to. It's your, mm. your choice. And so my encouragement to my clients is to actively put time out to co continuously be doing that. Because if you're continuously going out and creating opportunities, then you're still gonna have that baseline of opportunities that come to you. And so then you get to pick and choose and say, oh, okay, well, I only wanna work four days a week, but I have seven days a week worth of client work. Okay, well, you don't have to do some of that stuff that you don't want to. You get to pick and choose. And that's really where we get people to so that not only do we shift their mindset, but we actually shift what they're seeing coming into their experience. Mm -hmm. So there's constantly more opportunities than they have capacity for. Yeah, and it is, isn't it? It's keeping, um, it, it's always it maybe a bad analogy, but I always think of, uh, I think, you know, football and and the best managers kind of saying you have to kind of reinvest in the squad when you when you're at your peak you know when you are winning those trophies and that you created that dynasty or whatever it might be you know Manchester United in the 90s for example it's like you have to keep bringing in the next best young talent you have to keep scouting you have to keep um keep things moving forward otherwise some of them players are going to get old some are going to go elsewhere and it comes crashing down I always think I, I you know I think that's a semi-accurate analogy of that that approach absolutely i literally just got a message from one of my clients before i got on the phone to you she's an artist and she's had like three or like a good few months without any commissions and we've been working really really hard and she said oh you know i've just i've just got one i've just got someone interested potentially even two they're one of my biggest commissions that she you know charges a decent amount for i said great that's amazing number one celebrate and really get that you've gone out there and, and done this yourself but number two, I want you to imagine that you haven't just got those two commissions. Mm -hmm. And I want you to keep going out as if you haven't got them. Um, because that's how you really create that momentum. It's a little bit like football. It's a little bit like going to the gym. Like once you have that baseline of fitness, so much easier to keep up there than when you're down here scrambling around for projects and you get a bunch of great projects and then you work on them. And then you're like, oh crap, I'm back. A few months later, I'm back exactly where I was before I had that project. Mm -hmm. and it's exhausting you know that kind of yeah. feast and famine is just it's just exhausting it is I, I was fortunate enough to have quite early on in my career kind of 
connected personality and profession, you know, which is critical in this industry. And I realized that if I'd taken the approach that some others had, which was graduate, jump in, uh, you know, feet first into the industry, sink or swim, I knew I wouldn't, you know, I would, you know, I would be anxious, I would be panicking, I would be making rash decisions and approaching every man and his dog um, and, and just doing all the wrong things for me. Whereas I knew, I knew I'd be way better with a, with a full-time job that wasn't my, you know, forever thing. It was just something to pay the bills, hopefully something that I didn't hate, but it would free me up. It would give me the revenue to put into my business and allow me the time to do it, you know, in a pure way for me and my character and where I saw my, myself going. Because I always had that sense I always had that emotional sense, which was really valuable. You know, it took me a while to find my style. It took me a while to, to realize that, you know, there were certain clients that could, you know, get a better value from my work than others. But I always had a sense of that. So I made that decision and took, took a longer road. It took me two years before I got going. That, But when I did, the portfolio, you know, I was excited about it. I wanted to shout about it. I wanted to take it to the right people. So it's... Uh, it, you know, all of this really does come back to the self, doesn't it? How, how, how many of you, how many people that kind of come to you and are perhaps struggling or a little lost in the dark um, have failed to make that connection between their personality and their emotional self and the business? Mm. Not failed, but or maybe undervalued it, maybe. Oh, everybody undervalues it. Mm. <laughs> um, we are, one of the things that I learned from my previous business is the importance of having criteria for the types of clients that you work with. Not in a kind of snobby, we're the best nightclub in town way, but in a can we get the results for you way. So we have a very strict screening process. I spend a lot of time talking to people and kind of almost like interviewing them to get a gauge of what they're gonna be like to coach and how they're gonna to respond to these concepts. And if I don't think that they're open to that, then I just won't take them on as clients. Mm -hmm. So it takes a while. We typically work with our clients over a kind of nine to 12 month period. Um, and it takes a while for people to get, but by the end you see that they have that sometimes a lot quicker. Some people are a lot more self-aware and I imagine someone like yourself would just, you know, get straight into it, but other people haven't really thought or even considered about these things. So it takes a little bit more drumming in for them to then get to the point where they have this light bulb moment. But mm -hmm. I don't think, I've worked, I mean, there probably has been a few clients like back in my early days before I found my stride. Um, but I don't think really these days we work with anyone that doesn't end up making that connection because it's so, it's an intensive process and we kind of don't give up. So like if people aren't getting it, we try something else or get mm -hmm. them to work with one of our other mentors for a bit. And so we're just there to kind of get people results. Um, so we, we're pretty dedicated to that and, and I think we're pretty committed to getting people to kind of see that that light and see their own potential and, and make that connection. Mm. I am um, one thing that comes up quite a lot in this, you know, when these kind of questions where I put them out sometimes through the podcast on social media and some people are really quite disillusioned, you know, with the work they're doing. And you know, they're in this design role, they've been in for what, 10, 15, 20 years, and almost quite bitter or resentful they've you know they've grown to really dislike it but feel trapped by their financial situation or or and it, it makes me think of what you said about the kind of you know we're not going to starve tomorrow kind of mindset um is there any kind of starting points that you would suggest for the for the i i think of um again it's the cycle we just talked about and i think you said it in your book was it 
I've got it written down here somewhere, but I can't. Oh, the 30 day rule. So, you know, um, putting the work in and was it a nine, was it a 90 day turnaround before that stuff that starts to manifest? Yeah. It, it depends on the size of the projects you're going for. Typically my, my clients are in the kind of 10 to 50 K range. So like the bigger the project, the longer that time frame is, but it's, it's normally a maximum of 90 days. So I've got clients, for example, we use LinkedIn quite a lot. Um, we use different kind of methods of, of starting relationships and building conversations. Um, and often people will do it for 10, 15 days and say, this just isn't working. Like I haven't got a project yet. I'm like, yeah, like what you do in the next 30 days will determine the time, kind of projects you get in the next 90. Right. Because there's like different buying cycles. So there's probably only about three to 5% of the market that right now are currently in like, I'm ready to buy something. Mm -hmm. And then you've got another kind of 20% of the market, which will probably be ready to buy something or make a decision in the next six months. And then you've probably got another... I don't know, 30 to 40% that might in the next year to 18 months. And then you've got a bunch of people that will just never buy from you. Mm. So it's about playing through that. Like the problem we're trying to find the now buyers is everybody wants to speak to them. So it's the highest competitive area. And also the people who are now buyers are usually comparing what they're going to buy on three things that none of us want to be compared on, which is time, price, and quality. Mm. Yeah. Whereas when you get the buyers where they kind of build a relationship with you and you can position yourself as a problem solver, then they're not necessarily comparing on time, price, and quality. Obviously, it's still important, but that's not their key criteria. Their key mm -hmm. criteria is like, can you help me solve the problem that I've got and what's it going to take to solve that problem? And are you the right person to help me? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's, you know, I, I stay away from, you'll see a tweet every now and again, illustrators looking for someone for a project and, and it goes nuclear every time. And, it, yeah. and it, I feel, I almost feel a little sadness. It's like, oh shit, like there's a lot of people scrambling and scratching around out there, you know? Um, yeah. And, but the, yeah, no, the reason I asked that is that I, I think that it's really relevant because when you do get kind of you know snown under by your workload and you do lose sight of of the emotional connection and where you are and feel like you're in the wrong thing but that what you know you don't know what the next thing is and it feels an eternity away it's you have to like, well first of all it's like you said about you know perhaps dropping the one client to get yourself back on board someone you're paying attention to and then it's about knowing that it's highly unlikely that it's going to happen overnight, you know, mm. unless it's a complete freak of nature, you're not going to get a wonderful project that chimes with you that, like you said, that, that are buying now and come to you because if you're in a rut and you're producing work, you don't care about, why would they? Exactly. But, uh, so you I think it's about committing, isn't it? To, to a change and change and, and moving that, like you said, in implementing an infrastructure and understanding that you are going to have to spot, invest some time here and do it in a way that's true to you and know that it will take time. But once that starts to become a cycle and actually you, you commit to it, then you're on the right path to be having some choice again. Absolutely. And it is, I've literally, it's interesting because I've got a client that I'm dealing with at the moment and she's literally just started on our program and she's going through this kind of panic stage oh God, like, I don't know if this is working. It's like, you've not even been on the program for 30 days yet. Relax. She said, oh, I kind of feel like I'm bobbing around and see, I don't know what my direction is. I said, well, look, here's what you've got to understand is that right now you are in a storm. And when you're in the storm, you think this sucks and all you can focus on is I feel sick and like, oh my God, that wave's really big and when's this going to mm -hmm. end? What you've got to do is lean into the process and understand that we will get you there together You've got to do the work, but 
this process works, right? It's introspective. It doesn't just happen overnight. That's why our program is nine months and not nine weeks. Um, but you've just got to have faith that you will get to the other side of that storm. And when you do, it's going to be bright and it's going to be sunny and it's going to be great. And I know that sounds a little bit like I'm selling the dream, but whether you work with a coach or a mentor or whether you do this work on your own, you've got to understand that there is light at the tunnel if you push enough. Yeah. I've actually got another friend who's going through this process, but on his own. He's a very much like doesn't like help. He's got all the books. He's going through it. And we have these conversations. We went for a drink last night. And what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? He said, oh, I find it really frustrating. And I, I said to him, I remember being in your shoes. I remember being lost when I came back to the UK and I had that business that I didn't really enjoy doing. I was doing all this crap work. That I didn't even really want to put on my portfolio, but it was paying quite well. Um, and I just, I just remember that relentless sense of like, why does all this matter? It almost, you know, it's very close to kind of getting into this nihilistic outlook of life of like, what's the point of all of this? Mm -hmm. Why does it even matter? Um, and there's, I'm, there's probably stages, you know, how there's like the seven steps when you go through like therapy or whatever, or like recovery, there's probably something similar for this in terms of finding your purpose and, and getting in tune with your personality and what you want. But it, it is possible, and I think that's the message that I would love everybody to hear, is that if you put the work in and you really do, it's even just what you said is like, become aware of your personality and the things that you like and you dislike and the people that you would love to help and the people you wouldn't love to help. Yeah. And what in your story and in your life has positioned you in a way that would make you more valuable to that person than, say, another designer? Yeah. Um, and, and we have countless examples of this that's the beauty of it it's like from martin who's an animator and just said oh, i don't have anything interesting who now works in like the wellness niche and a sub niche of that in psychedelics and he's built this he's done this animation for this psychedelics app from one of like the top leaders in the industry to like scott who was just a designer and said i didn't have anything interesting but now works in outdoor and adventure and just won red bull as a client like like it's there you know we've got the evidence it does work but like you said you've just gotta really be patient with it and just keep chipping away and, and know like i'm not just going to wake up one day with right this is what my purpose is this is your help blah, 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 blah. and i think a lot of people want to do that they want to have everything perfect in their head and on paper like i need to know my brand and my messaging and who it's for before they even go out into the world and start yeah. anything. That's the big danger as well. A lot of us like to quantify what it is and what it means and, and where it's going. And and, it, and this goes back to why parents fear when their you know, kids uh, want to go and do something creative rather than be a lawyer or a dentist or whatever, because you can't quantify it and it's not tangible and it doesn't work on paper. It's a feeling and it's a, you know, it's, I said to you on one of our calls, like I started to think about creativity as almost it's almost a plant you have to it's something that has to be nurtured and it, and if you if what you're doing it, it can be in the creative industry it can be with the most artistic clients like you said about the ad agency for example but if you're stuck in something that just isn't doing it for you and you spend too much time doing that you do get resentful and you will i think of it as wilting and it starts mm. to become toxic and, and dark and and do horrible things then because you're not fulfilling what you need to be fulfilling um, that's a great metaphor i love that it's yeah and, and but it can always turn around you know the seed's always there and it's like yeah you, you have to then like you say make time and space and it and don't get me wrong it's hard it's tough especially when you've got financial commitments and you've got bills to do but you can do it like i i'm starting out as a writer now and uh, i say starting out because you know the book's been out five years but where i'm at now is very much at the start of a, of a new path with writing fiction and I, I absolutely love it with a passion and it gives me a 
a new outlet for storytelling that illustration can't really do, but the two do work wonderfully together. So there's this nice new ecosystem. But what I'm finding is, you know, I've got two one-year-old twins and they're going, you know, they're running now. It's like, it's my life is in, insanely intense, but it, this goes back to something that you said, Matt, and it was the um, productive, being productive versus being busy. But all of it's good. You know, the, I've embraced the chaos of the family life. It made me more resourceful than I ever was. I'm writing, you know, books on the notes app, sat on the toilet, on the dog walk. It's like I'm, I'm getting a real buzz from still doing it. And kind of, I guess because there were people in my world going, oh, you won't be doing that when you're a dad. And, and I, I get competitive and I'm like, I bloody will. I'll be doing it more, <laughs> I'll be doing it more than ever. <laughs> you know? So I'm from like, bloody Keith Lee. I'm going to do it. Yeah. I mean, I guess my advantage is that I've spent time and, and been, you know, I've always placed a really great value, like I said, on, on the things that matter. Therefore, I've always had the, the, the zest. Apart from the odd burnout, I've had the zest for it and I've had the love of it. So it doesn't feel that hard. And it's something that, that I, for me, I have to find time for it. Otherwise, you know, suddenly then I'm like, oh God, I'm trapped in the family life. And, you know, so I have to do that and I have to make time for it. But you always can. This is what I find. There's always a way. It's just about breaking that horrible burnout mindset and, and getting yourself past that low, isn't it? Yeah, I think one thing that you've kind of alluded to, but maybe not have actually said explicitly is essentially like, what is the story you tell yourself about that situation? And your question earlier was like, you know, if you're stuck in a rut, you're not really doing this work, but you've got financial struggles, etc. Like, what would be your advice? Or like, how would you start to approach that? And whenever I jump on a call with a potential client who's interested in working with me, the first thing I'm really listening for is what's their story? Mm. What's the narrative that they and they tell me, oh, well, it's this and it's that and da, 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 da. And what I really try and get them to do is separate reality from the story because they're two very different things. The reality is you've got two one-year-old twins that run around that do all this stuff. Now, the story that you create around that, about your life and your business and your work, is up to you. And what's beautiful is what I just heard is that you see it as an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Someone else will see it as a reason not to be able to do those things. Yeah. The exact same situation, just a different story and a different meaning. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the power in it is like, is this empowering? Am I going to see what the lesson is here? What I can learn from this? Like, oh, amazing. I've got this chaotic world and I'm still finding time to create. So I know that no matter what happens in my life, this is probably going to be one of the most chaotic parts of my life. But yeah, I still find time to do this and it empowers me to learn new things and to put this time out for me, et cetera, et cetera, versus, well, I've got this chaotic life, so I can't do this. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I mean, unless there's anything else you want to get in there, Matt, I think we've covered a, a really good... I think that's a really great, there's going to be so much there to pick pick out for people. I think that's going to going to really help them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where can people see you, get your book, talk to you? Yeah, do you know what? I'd actually love to give your listeners a copy of this. So I don't know if you, in the show notes, I've got a little URL that I could share with you. At the moment, it's only just a PDF that they can download. Um, yeah. But we're trying to get a little thing working so that people can get the, the print copy as well. Um, so yeah, if awesome. anyone like found this, interesting and they'd like to read more about some of the strategies and, and the things that we've talked about today i think that's probably the best way to to find out about me but i'm on instagram quite a lot just matt with two t's underscore sm e -S -S uh, if you want to come check me out send me a message i'm pretty active on there i usually reply to things as long as you're not uh trying to spam me then uh, <laughs> i will get back to you so 
Fantastic. All right, Matt. And um, yeah, that's that's uh, wonderful. And thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Ben. It's been great. Thank you so much to Matt SM for taking the time to chat today. I think you'll agree, Matt has a fascinating, windy story, and they're often good ones because they come with so many little unexpected checkpoints and lessons and business lessons and creative lessons and life lessons along the way and he's full of all of them so hit him up go and grab a copy of that pdf book that he mentioned there at the end of the show he's very kindly offering it for free create and prosper it's really good i was uh, reading it in preparation for this show and i've got a lot further now and it's really good i mean don't overlook such a valuable asset so go and grab it it's there for you free bang it on your phone next time you're on the bus learn some shit <laughs> So cheers to Matt, thank you to the supporters of the show, the Association of Illustrators and the wonderful founding sponsor, Illustration X, brilliant animation and illustration agency. We are Illustration X on social media, illustrationx.com. Thank you for listening, guys. I hope you can have a wonderful, creatively empowering, rich week, whatever you decide to do. Get us your work over. Send it over, we'll share it. If there's something cool, we might get you on the show if you want to come and talk about it. Um, do it. Stay in touch at Ben Talon Pod or at Ben Talon on social media. Drop us a little message or an email. Not been on social as much as I would like. Been a busy spell. And as I mentioned earlier on, just a little bit jaded with some of it. So anyway, come and say hello however you wish. Thank you once again for listening. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time. See you later, guys.